0: Maybe may be seated. Brother. Good morning to everyone. As I was putting my sermon together this week, it seemed like it might be a little bit long. So I've got a question. Would anybody, if I go five minutes over, would you give me five minutes? Anybody give me five? Okay, there. Five, hold your hand a minute. Five, (laughs) ten, fifteen, twenty. And if you've got a roast in the oven, I just want you to know the Lord may still accept burnt sacrifices. All right? (laughs) I have a jumping off point that I want to start with. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read two verses, verse 41 and verse 42. Then they that gladly received his words were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given to us today. You've been so good to us, Father, and we just worship you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be people that you'd be pleased with. I pray this morning, Father, that your word would go forth in power. May our hearts and our spirits be receptive unto what you would have for us. Forgive us of our sins. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So pastor approached me a few weeks back and asked me if I would be available to preach on a Sunday morning. He said February 12th. I said, sure, I'd love to. And we spoke a few minutes of it being the Sunday before Valentine's Day. So I was thinking, well, that'll be an easy sermon topic, you know, just... Speak of love. god The love God has for us and the love that we should have one for another. I mean, it really can't get much easier than that. And my mind went to work recalling the verses in the scriptures about love. I mean, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. God loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He loved us enough that he called us his friends. And we're commanded also to love one another. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Well, the day has arrived for me to speak. It's today, and my sermon is not about love. You see, I went home after Pastor and I spoke and I prayed, Lord, help me find all these passages about love in the scriptures and commands where we're supposed to love one another. And it just seemed like God just wasn't answering my prayers. So I went back and I prayed some more, and this time, instead of praying, help me with my sermon, I asked, Lord, what do you want me to speak about? And searching for a sermon topic, I started reviewing some of the sermons that I would written in the past. Five reasons I will praise the Lord. Building on the right foundation. What is truth? Who is Jesus? The high cost of compromise. I considered the sermon ten reasons I have for believing that the Ten Commandments come from God. And another sermon was the first commandment. Another sermon was the second commandment. Another sermon, the third commandment. And I think you know the next seven or eight of them. I looked at the sermon titled Seeking the Old Paths Growing in the Spirit What is Wisdom? and several others. But I just did not have the leading of the Spirit to choose one of them to preach. I said, Lord, you know, I've only got a couple weeks here. What do you want me to speak about? And it kind of reminded me of a pastor, Calvin Brown, who said that he had that happen to him once. He tells of when he was younger, pastor, and the church was growing, he says the sermons were good and the people were growing in faith and knowledge of God and bearing spiritual fruit. Pastor Brown said one week he prepared his sermon and as he stood to preach, he got in the pulpit and the spirit said, that's not what the people need to hear today. And he said he just stood there stunned and under his breath he said, Okay, Lord, what do they need to hear? God said, Tell them I love them. Calvin said he just stood there and it seemed as if it was almost frozen in time. And God asked him, he says, As you look out at the people, what do you see? Calvin said, I see people. I see Christian people, good Christian people, people who love God, well-dressed people who have come because they love God. God said, that's what you see, and that's also what I see. But I also see people who are hurting. I see people that have broken hearts. People who are filled with the uh, pains of aging. I see parents who have cried all night because of wayward children. I see a man and his wife who are hurting and struggling from words that have been said in anger. I see those teenagers who are struggling with confusion from some of the things they're being taught in the schools. Calvin, you see the people, but I know the people. And the people who are here today, they want to hear from me I know the people love me, and today I want them to know I love them. Today I want you to tell them that I love them. Calvin said God reminded him that in your sermons you have told the people what is right, and you have told them what is wrong. You have spoken of how to and the reasons and the means for Christians living, and I've been a part of that. Those things are important. Today my people came here to hear from me and the message that I have for them is I love them. Calvin said that was one of his sermons that received one of his greatest responses. The power of God moved through the church house that morning many years ago and there's still some that speak of the spirit that fell and went through the congregation that day. You know, that is still a relevant message from God. A message from God who sees you just as you are God does love you. But God also knows what's in your heart, and God hears the questions that we pray. God has been listening as you have spoken with him while you're laying in your bed. The God you have been praying to, looking for answers, he knows, and he does have answers. God has a message for you today, and I can tell you lately, I have been in need to hear from God. I've got questions and I want to know what the answers are. When we turn on the news and we listen to the things that make headlines, I often think, am I hearing the truth? Am I being manipulated? What's really going on? And I just don't know about you, but there are times I'm just kind of bewildered. What It seems like our society is falling apart at the seams. What was once wrong we're now being told is right and those who are confused are honored while those who are stable and confident are shamed. I'm a man. I was born a man and I like being a man. Well I used to be strong when I was younger anyways okay. But there are others who were born a man but they now think they're a girl And they dress like a woman and they question what they're going to feel like or be tomorrow. They're unsure of who they are and they're unsure of what they will be or should be tomorrow. They're confused. Yet they're portrayed in the media as brave. Their confusion is honored, supported, and even encouraged by some that are in places of leadership. While I and those that are like me confident in whom God has made us, men and women created in the image of God, we are shamed and told we're belligerent and mean-spirited. We receive anything but honor. What in the world is going on? You talk about a world that is upside down, it seems confusion is better than stability. What are we supposed to be doing? This confusion is not just with self-identity, it is with everything in life. Right and left, up and down, in and out. Politics are off the chart with confusion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. This morning I believe we need an anchor that we can hold to. We need something that is sure and that is steadfast. We need something that is unchanging. While the winds of change are blowing across the world, we need an anchor of the soul that keeps us from being tossed about, driven by the winds of change, and tossing against the rocks that make shipwrecks of our lives and our souls. We need the peace of God. We need the church. We need the doctrines of the church that bring peace into our lives. We need stability in our lives that comes from unchanging values. We as Christians now more than ever, we need to be a part of the church and have the peace of God in our hearts. Much of this confusion I'm speaking about this morning is being supported in places that are called churches. Confusion is being supported and encouraged in many so called churches, is the same thing that is being taught and supported by most of the, some of the most ungodly institutions that we have. It seems that we have changed the meaning of the word church. So I ask, what is a church? Oxford Dictionary defines the church as. A building used for public worship of Christianity. That meaning is a far cry from what Jesus had in mind when he established his church. You see, Jesus appointed Peter as the first leader of the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 says, I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As the leader of the church, what is it that we find Peter doing? On the day of Pentecost, the day that God opened the doors of the church, we find Peter in the middle of a crowd and he began to preach. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this none unto you and listen to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But what you see is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We find Peter here in the book of Acts preaching the gospel. The people were broken-hearted and they asked, what should we do? Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of your sins. And with many other words he solemnly testified, and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the Lord added to the church daily, Such as should be saved." So from what we find here in this passage in Acts, what is a church? The church is that group of people who believe in Jesus for salvation. And they continue in the doctrine of the apostles. And they associate with like-minded believers in all manner of life and prayer. The church is the people. It's not the building. The church is the people. Those who believe certain things. And what are those things that the church believes? The things the church believes are the doctrine of the apostles. The church holds to the doctrines of the apostles. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine. A set of unchanging values that are taught, believed, and lived by. Let me repeat that to you one more time. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is a set of unchanging values that are taught, believed, and lived by. A friend of mine was a loan officer for a bank. Church came in and they applied for a large loan. The pastor stated to her, because she was a loan officer, he said, I'm going to take this small church and we are going to grow by leaps and bounds. He said, when people come to my church, I'm going to require that they leave their doctrine outside the door. Because doctrine divides. What he really meant was, we're not going to have any doctrine in the church. What is the church? A group of believers who hold to the doctrines of the apostles. Without doctrine, those who gather are nothing more than a part of a social club of some type. It takes doctrine, unchanging values that are taught, believed, and lived by for a church to exist. I believe that we're gathered here today, we that are gathered here today are a part of the church. There are many others who have gathered in different locations today who are also a part of the church. But there's many who have gathered this morning and they say they're going to church. But they're just gathering as a social club because they don't have any doctrine. They've abandoned the doctrines of the apostles. This morning I want to review four things that the apostles taught as doctrine. Things that have not changed for us as a church. Four doctrines that make us a part of the church of Christ rather than just a group of like-minded people or a social club of some sort. I will say this, the apostles taught many, many many doctrines. I only want to look at four of them. These may be the most four important, and they may not be the most four important. I'm not going to be that judge. I just want to give you four doctrines that I believe are under attack today from those outside the church. First, we hold as a doctrine a value that we teach, we believe, and we live by that the Bible is the word of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Paul was convinced that the scriptures were the written word of God. And Paul lived his life as a testimony to that. Paul stuck his neck out, so to say, and declared that the Bible is the word of God. And tradition tells us that Nero cut his head off. Two thousand years later, we find men, they name their dogs Nero, and they named their sons Paul. Nero was not right. Paul was right. The Bible is the word of God. The days before Jesus was crucified, while in an upper room a woman opened an alabaster box of ointment, she poured the contents of oil on the head of Jesus as an act of honor. She anointed the Lord. There were some who were there that day and they complained about what she had done. Jesus said, what she has done will be told the world over. She honored me and because what she has done, the world will hear of her good deeds. This woman, when she did her best to honor Christ... She was criticized. Yet Jesus looked at her and he said to everyone who could hear him, what she has done will be spoken of wherever the gospel is told. You're hearing about it again today. That's been some 2,000 years later. Do you think Jesus' words are the gospel? They are. They're still proven true today. There have been times in my life when I have put faith by faith, believed the scriptures were truth. I've tried it in my own life. It's been about 10 years ago so or so. I was I don't know, getting up to go to work in the morning and looked in my closet. Clothes have never been that important to me. Never have. And I looked in my closet. I had one sport coat. Maybe two nice shirts and a pair of pants or so. I just I didn't have much clothes. It wasn't important to me, but I didn't have much money if I needed clothes either. I just didn't have much. My personal time of scripture reading is always in the evening before I go to bed. I try and read a few scriptures. Well, at that time, my scriptures that I had been reading was in Haggai chapter one and verse six. Let's, let me read it to you. You've sown much and you bring little in. You eat, you have not enough. You drink, you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. And then, now at verse 9 it says, You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. At that time in my life, I really was not supporting the church as I should have. I read that and my mind said, You know what? I'm going to try it. Is God's word true? I started supporting the church like I should have. A year or so later, and even until now, I can tell you, I had to squish some clothes together to get one shirt out of my closet. I've got so many clothes. My wife's closet is full. I've got more shoes than I've ever had. And I'm not a shoe collector like some of you are, okay? We're not wealthy, and being wealthy is not our desire. But this much I can tell you, I know God's word is true. I've proved it to myself. I challenge you this morning, find a passage of Scripture, and you prove to yourself that God's word is true. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. It works. I've proven it to myself. God's word is truth. Truth. Instead of testing the scriptures to see if they are true, maybe you have chosen in your life to disprove the scriptures. There's a lot of people that have done that. Well, take your turn in line because there have been many people before you who have had that same ambition. You see, the Bible has been attacked from its inception, yet it remains. I think of the emperors of Rome who used the wealth and the power of the empire to discredit and destroy the Bible, but they failed. We still have the scriptures. We still have the Bible. Those who have set out to disprove the scriptures are too numerous to count, but I want to tell you about one of them. There was a story... uh, They call it a story, but it's actually an account uh, Christian apologists have told for years. And it involves the French philosopher, Voltaire. He was born in 1694 and died in 1778. They say that Voltaire, in his voluminous writings against Christianity and the Bible, predicted in 1776... He, he said, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on the earth except one that is in a museum and looked at by curiosity seekers. 50 years after he died, in an iconic twist of providence the very house in which he lived and wrote some of those things against the scriptures was rented by the evangelical society of Geneva as a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts those printing presses that he used to print his irreverent works were used to print Bibles This truth has been repeated through the years by Christians as an example of the futility of those who oppose scriptures. You may choose to spend your life going against the scriptures. You won't be the first. You're not the last. And you'll have just as much success as everybody else that done it before you. You're going to fail. We as the church the group of believers in whom we, the church, the group of believers in Jesus who meet at this location and other places across the world, we have a doctrine that we hold to, and that is we teach, we believe, and we live our lives knowing that the scriptures are the word of God. They will endure forever. I've heard it said if God were to speak from heaven in an audible voice that we could hear, he would say no more than what we have written in the Bible. As the church, we have a doctrine, and one of those doctrines is we hold to the scriptures that are inspired, that, that the scriptures are the inspired word of God and they will endure. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18 For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. We as a church, we also have a doctrine that we hold to. A different doctrine. An unchanging value that we teach, we believe, and we live by. The second doctrine that we have that I want to focus on this morning is We believe in heaven. The last time I had the privilege to speak here, my sermon title was Don't Forget About Heaven. Heaven is a real place for real people who have been born again by the power of the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Heaven is not just a state of mind. It is a location that God himself occupies. In the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to it as the Father's house. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have more details given to us about heaven in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 verses 19 through 21. And the foundations of the walls of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was a jasper, the second a sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth a sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite. the eighth a beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a Chrysophorus, the eleventh, a Janus, the twelfth, an Amethyst, and the twelve gates are twelve pearls, every gate of one pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold that is as transparent glass. There is a place called heaven, and it is where those who hold the doctrines of the apostles and have been born again will go when they depart this world." We will see those gates of pearl. We will walk those streets of gold. We will drink from the river of life that flows from the throne of God. We will be in a place that is real, and it is a place called heaven. Heaven is a doctrine of the apostles, and it is what our church teaches, believes, and lives for. The Bible is the inspired, infallible, unchanging word of God. Heaven is a real place where God has promised we will dwell in if we accept his gift, the eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we as a church also believe and teach and live by another doctrine. The doctrine of hell. You see, there is a place where those who reject the work of Christ will also abide. There is a place called hell. Luke chapter 16 beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime, you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. You see, heaven, or hell, is just as real of a place as heaven is, and those who abide there will be there for eternity. Mark chapter 9, verses 43. Starting at verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and going to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If your foot offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter lame into life than having two feet and be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better for you to go into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. What Jesus is saying here in this passage? He is saying, by any means possible, you must avoid hell. Take drastic measures. I've heard some people say Jesus was speaking speaking metaphorically. He did not mean to cut your hand off or gouge your eye out. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, if that's what it takes, and it's that drastic, do it. Because it's better than going to hell. Take those drastic measures. Change your life because hell is a real place and real people will be there. Hell is a place of torment, it is for eternity. It's a place of no hope, no relief. It's horrible. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, sexually immoral, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 25, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I can remember my dad, who was an old Baptist preacher, telling anyone that would listen to him, there is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun if you miss heaven you will not just go into a state of non-existence or annihilation if you miss heaven you will abide in hell and there in hell you will remain for eternity no hope no help pain and anguish forever. Luke chapter number 13, verse 38, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you find yourselves thrust out. Scriptures have many places that speak of hell. Hell is real, and the existence of hell and its description given in the Bible is a doctrine that the church believes Teaches and lives by. Doctrine, a set of unchanging values that are taught, believed, and lived by. The church holds and continues in the doctrines of the apostles. There are many doctrines that the apostles taught us. We have seen three of them so far this morning, and we want to look at one more. We as the church hold to the doctrine passed to us by the teaching of the apostles, the doctrine of salvation. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has said in his word that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. You see, we're born into sin and we're separated from God. That's just the way we're born. We inherited that from our first father, Adam. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. We've all been born into sin, but God has provided a way of salvation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. And this is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given, whereby we must be saved." We, the church, we believe, we teach, and we live by the doctrines of the apostles. We share the gospel of salvation with all who will hear us. We're not ashamed to stand and declare that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yes, there are some things that are spoken of in scriptures that are hard. Some of the things that are written kind of offend us. That's because we're separated from God by our sins and by our pride. You see, we kind of, we want to earn heaven. I can do something for myself to help me get to heaven. God needs my help to get me to heaven. God doesn't need your help. I'm reminded of the captain of the Assyrian host, a man by the name of Naaman. You see, Naaman was a great man, a man of prominence and power. But he had leprosy. Spent most of his life doing anything he could, yet his leprosy remained. He was so desperate, a very powerful and prominent man, yet he heard some little servant girl, a little slave girl talking, and she said, Well, I know a God that can heal you. So Naaman goes out. He's desperate. He goes out and he finds God's servant. Elisha sends a message to the king, and he says, "I'm coming because I know that, uh, you know, your God can heal me." The king says, "Well, go see the prophet Elisha; he's the one that's, you know, from God." And there, there was fear in the people of Israel. Here comes it. Who are we? We can't heal you. Naaman was desperate. Elisha hears and he says, Well, send him to me and I'll tell him what to do. Naaman comes to Elisha, knocks on his door, and Elisha don't even answer the door. He says, Ah, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman got angry. Who is he? Doesn't he know who I am? Surely he would have come out and prayed over me and Put his hand on a spot and fire from heaven would fall and I'd be healed. It didn't happen that way. When Naaman humbled himself and he decided, I'm going to do what God's word says I should do, God's word that came from God's prophet. Just go dip yourself in Jordan's river. Something Naaman didn't understand. His leprosy was gone. You see, leprosy is a type of sin. It's a picture of sin in our lives. I've had sin in my life. You ever had sin in your life you can't get rid of? You've just tried so desperately. You've taken every measure that you can. I need to be rid of my sin. How do I cleanse my sin? I've prayed. We've seen some people in other countries, I've seen them, they take whips and they flog their back. They beat until the blood flows. Desperate. I've got to get rid of my sin. What do I need to do? Humble yourself. Become obedient. To the word of God. The word of God is this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you enough that he died for you. He took your place. And if you're willing to accept that. You can be saved. You see Jesus had just told his followers. Let me back up one a little bit. We want to have a part in our own salvation. John chapter 6, starting at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said unto the 12, will you go away also? Jesus had just told his followers, there is nothing you can do, nothing you can contribute towards your salvation. Salvation is of God and it is of God alone. Many of those people were offended and went away. My question to you is, will you go away also? Or will you do as and did and become humble and accept the gift of salvation from, that God has given? Romans chapter nine, 10 and verse 9. If you will confess your sins with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simply believe. Believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for the sin that you have done. And that he is raised back to life by the power of God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, of the first part, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, we as the church have a doctrine. And one of the doctrines that we hold to is the doctrine of salvation. Salvation by the power of the gospel. The gospel that Jesus is the only way to be cleansed from our sins and get to heaven. When Naaman humbled himself and became obedient to the words of God given by the prophet, he was healed and became free from his leprosy. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. I am declaring to you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This morning I have delivered a message to you that has come from God. God loves you. God wants you to have stability and peace in your heart and life in the midst of a world of turmoil. And that peace can only be found in Church. Not in a building with a lo- label that's called church, but that piece is found in the church of Jesus Christ. It is found in the church that holds to the doctrines of the apostles. The Greek group of believers who hold to the doctrines of the apostles. We, the church. Four doctrines. The Bible is the infallible, enduring Word of God. Heaven is a real place for those who are born of God. Hell is the abode of those who reject the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And salvation is none other than Jesus the Christ. Be a part of the church. Accept these doctrines, and the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Are you a part of the church? Do you need stability and peace in your life in a world of turmoil? It does matter what you believe. Your eternal destination depends on it. It will be either heaven or it will be hell. One of those two. And what you believe also does affect the peace that you have in this world that we do live in today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth of your word. Unchanging, infallible, the doctrines that the apostles have given to us. I pray this morning, Father, that the spirit of the Lord may dwell in each heart. And Father, if there be any here that do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they receive you, that they are born again and converted and become a part of your church. Forgive us of where we failed you, go with us through the remains of this day, We ask in the name of Christ, amen.